Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Seeking Witchcraft. Today, I have on a super special guest, which some of you may recognize from my constant book recommendation, Thorne Mooney. <laughs> so thank you, Thorne, so much for coming on. Would you like to give yourself a quick introduction? Sure, Ashley. Hey, thanks for having me. Um... My name is Thorne Mooney, and I write books, and I'm on the internet. Um, I've got one book out right now called Traditional Wicca that came out in 2018. I'm working on a second book, but the first book is about how to get involved in initiatory Wicca. I had been, I mean, I've been involved in witchcraft communities for decades, and I was frustrated as a member of a Gardnerian group with how dated our resources are. There were so many books that folks were still recommending from the 50s through the 80s, and it just seemed kind of ludicrous to me that there hadn't been anything written in recent years, so I made that my personal mission. Um, Other than books, you may have seen me on the internet. I think I'm probably more widely known for my YouTube channel. So yeah, I love the internet, I love witchcraft, and those two things go very well together. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be interesting maybe to talk a little bit later about witchcraft in the online community, because that seems to have really blown up recently, especially all over like Discord, I know. Oh, yeah. Cool. So we'll get there, <laughs> perhaps. But yeah, so I'm super excited to have you here. So thanks again. Thorne and I are going to talk about some random topics in witchcraft, and we're really going to just kind of see where this show goes. So <laughs> this will be a fun episode. But I guess to start, I'd love if we can talk about your book. So I've recommended it in the past before, but I think it's best to kind of hear it from the author themselves. So would you want to talk a little bit about it so anybody who's brand new or listening kind of has an idea of what it's about? Sure. I, In retrospect, I sort of wonder if maybe I shouldn't have been a little bit smarter with the title because, as I just said, my intention had been to update resources for seekers who are interested specifically in coven-based Wicca. But having finished the book and seen its impact out in the wider kind of witchcraft world, I wish that I'd written it a little bit more generally, just because I think a lot of the stuff that's in there doesn't just apply to Wicca. It also applies to really any kind of initiatory witchcraft group. So the first chunk of the book is about essentially what makes initiatory Wicca different than the Wicca that we've all been reading about in big box bookstores since the 90s. Like, what are the differences? And this was important to me because, you know, people think that they already have a handle on Wicca. It's been at the fore when people talk about witchcraft um, overwhelmingly, especially in popular media. People think that that's the same thing as Wicca. They use those terms interchangeably. And this is very frustrating for other kinds of witches. And kind of the general sentiment that people seem to have is that Wicca is, it's introductory or, oh, hey, we all read Scott Cunningham in the late 90s. Like, we've got a handle on this. Time to move on. And my own experiences with a coven demonstrated that Wicca was actually quite different than what I'd been reading about in books for all those years. So that first chunk of the book explores those differences. 
But the latter half is practical. It's about how to find a group, how to evaluate it, how to figure out what it is that you really want in a group, what what the heck it is that you're doing. And I think those ideas really apply to pagan and witchcraft groups broadly. Um, so if I was going to write it again, I might I might take a slightly different angle. So if you are not a Wicca person, I would suggest focusing on that back half because I think there's a lot of really good practical stuff in there. But I'd also challenge you to Consider the possibility that maybe you don't know as much about Wicca as you think you do. Um, And then for actual seekers to initiatory Wicca, I would say, here's how to woo a coven and trick them into initiating you and giving them all of your secrets. (laughs) There you go. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, so I read the book when I was already in my outer court. And I remember reading it and I was just like, huh, well... I was already in the outer court, so I think I did something right. But it, there were so many things in there I read. I was like, oh, I wish I would have done this or like, oh, that was such a cool idea. Uh, I kind of got lucky that I just kind of clicked with my outer court, you can say. But reading it really gave me some ideas. And I, I purchased a bunch of copies to hand out to friends, none of which I've gotten back. But <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's great that's, for me. That's kind of that's kind of how books go, anyway. I mean, especially I feel like witchcraft or Wiccan books, like you just you get them and you hand them out to people, and then that's the last time you ever see them. You kind of just pass them on. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And so you had mentioned you have another book coming out. Would you be able to tell us just like a topic of what it's about? Sure. I'm really pumped about the second book. It's been really really difficult to write. It's taking me for freaking ever. Um, it is called Next Level Witchcraft. That's its working title. So it might change a little bit in the end. Um, but it's about plateaus. It's about where to go next. And the reason I'm excited about it is because it has a much broader audience. It's not targeted at Wiccans. Um, Obviously, like my background is Wiccan, so you will see Wiccan elements, but I talk explicitly about those things where they appear. And I've modeled it after my experience as a classroom teacher. So when you're in a classroom, um, I taught high school for several years, you get a big group of kids and they're all over the place, right? You've got some who are excellent readers, they're maybe they're honor students, they've got more experience, and then you've got kids where English isn't even their first language and they have very limited mastery of it. You've got kids with different kinds of learning disabilities, you've got kids who have different family backgrounds, you've got this classroom usually about 30 to 35 kids here in North Carolina, which is horrifying. Be horrified by that. And you're responsible for all of them. And I found that that's the experience that I have also as a coven leader and as somebody who goes to festivals and is active in the process of teaching folks, or if not teaching them directly, at least pointing them in directions. So I wanted to write a book that would help people on plateaus, regardless of what their specific plateau was. So there's a particular plateau, for example, that beginners encounter, which is overwhelm, right? There's so much out there. Oh, my God, what do I do? I'm doing it wrong. All these books say something different. Uh, And then they don't do anything. So that's a plateau. It took me a long time to get off of that myself as a beginner. And then there's this other plateau that we call the armchair occultist, right? This is the person who reads a ton, knows a lot, super knowledgeable, but has this hang up for whatever reason about getting up and actually applying any of it. There's another type of plateau where folks are, it's, it's kind of like overwhelm in the sense that their lives are really busy. How do I actually apply this stuff to my real life? I can't set aside like hours every day to meditate and do ritual and celebrate Sabbaths and read books and shit. Like how do I put this into my real life right now? And then the fourth kind of plateau I talk about is burnout. 
and it's for community leaders, coven leaders, folks who've been around for a while, particularly people in positions of authority. Um, and this is where I was when I first started writing this book. Um, what do you do? Like, cause believe it or not, witchcraft kind of stops being sexy after a while. Like there's parts about being a group leader, being a community organizer that have nothing to do with witchcraft, right? They're about, they're about team building and organizational skills and, you know, managing your life and spreadsheets and finances and garbage. And like, nobody wants to talk about those things. So I wanted a way to write a chapter, for example, about, let's say, devotion and take those four angles and in one chapter kind of address all of the students in the classroom. So like, here's this broader category. And then there are exercises in the back that are differentiated for whichever level you feel like you're at. So I'm really pumped about it. I'm finishing it up now. I'm about to turn it into my editor and it'll be out hopefully a year after that. So hooray. So I think it's really cool that you have exercises in the back and I love that it's multifaceted. So it's not like, you know, oh, well, I'm not advanced enough to read this book. It's like, no, there's something in there for, there for beginners. There's something in there for people who have a level of mastery, I guess you can maybe say. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, people who run covens or leadership. And, you know, I, I like how you mentioned that there's parts of witchcraft that just aren't sexy. <laughs> like, you know, one of the things getting into this, I, I learned pretty quickly is, you know, witchcraft is fun. It's exciting, but it is so academic sometimes. And there's so much reading and studying that goes into it that nobody really tells you or talks about. Well, (laughs) once you get more involved, I find that they talk about it. But like when you're first staring at, you know, beginner Wicca, beginner witchcraft 101, it's all about like, here's the fun spells you can do. And I did this cool circle and look at my Instagram altar. (laughs) It's nothing about, hey, here's the giant stack of books that I read to get here. Uh, yeah. It, you know, nobody ever talks about that. Well, and I, so one thing that used to show up in books in the nineties was this sentiment that, Oh, pagans love to read, witches love to read. We're all, we're all, you know, book lovers and bookworms and whatever. And that's what attracts us to these traditions. And I would argue that there's an element of truth there. Sure. But I think that the practice of witchcraft also turns us into readers. Um, so there's another angle that we don't, often use. Um, I think that at some point it's helpful if you're if you're not a reader, if you're not particularly academically inclined, it's helpful at some point to develop those skills because that's potentially a way to take those next steps. Um, so it's useful and it's it's really cool watching folks who don't have academic backgrounds do things like, I'm going to learn about medieval Latin so that I can read these grimoires, right? Like, and people teaching themselves those kinds of things is just like really badass. It's totally like punk rock outside of the academy, um, which I'm all about. Um, But all of that said, I think that that's only one aspect. Um, I think witchcraft necessarily isn't academic. Like inherently, it's not academic. Even historically, like broadly, this category of witchcraft belongs to people who overwhelmingly are not in these educated, wealthy classes, kind of anywhere we look in the world historically, um, you know, not not exclusively, but I think broadly if we're making sweeping statements. So 
um, you certainly shouldn't feel excluded if those aren't your inclinations. Um, and that, that's kind of the, the reason why I spend so much time in multiple mediums. I'm a writer. I love books. I have a formal academic background. Um, I've, I'm a classroom teacher. I've taught at the university level. So like I get that stuff. Um, but it's equally important to me to be on YouTube and Instagram and have those other mediums for folks who don't necessarily want to read 300 pages of your bullshit, you know, <laughs> like they're busy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, then you have the armchair magician or the armchair witch who reads the books, but then doesn't put the practice behind it. <laughs> Yeah, and I've, I've definitely found myself caught in that category before of like, oh, I'll read all these things. But then I'm just like, oh, OK, cool. And I just sometimes I'm just like in a mode where I'm like, I just don't feel like actually putting this to work. Oh, yeah. It's hard no. to get out of that sometimes. I think we all do that at some point. I think a lot of us are sitting in that place and either don't realize it or don't want to admit it. And here's you know, some, some examples that come to mind, you know, I'm sitting here writing this book and I'm putting in exercises and my first book, Traditional Wicca, didn't have any exercises in it beyond a couple of like random journaling prompts or thought exercises. But this one has explicit exercises where I ask you to physically put the book down and go do this thing right now and then come back to me. I'll, I'll be here, I promise. <laughs> um, and as I'm writing this, I'm thinking to myself, are people really going to do this? And it's not because I'm judging them. It's because I'm thinking about all of the books that I have owned and read and spent time with where I've just read them. And then I've been like, okay, cool. I get an idea of what this is about. And then I put it back on the shelf. Like great examples of that. I'm thinking about um, Christopher Penzak's Inner Temple of Witchcraft. You know that whole Temple of Witchcraft series, but particularly Inner Temple of Witchcraft because it's, it's so popular. Um, I joke that one of my favorite things, like one of my favorite times of year you know, we're witches. We like cycles. <laughs> I love New Year's because on YouTube, it's inner temple of witchcraft season. It's people with their New Year's resolutions and their Christopher Penzak books, or sometimes they're Timothy Roderick books, but usually they're Christopher Penzak books. And they're declaring that they're going to go through this book. They're going to do a year in a day and they're going to they're going to do it on their channel so you can you can follow along with their progress. And not once does anybody ever finish this. It's, it's impossible. Like nobody does it. These videos come out, you know, like every other week for a couple of months and then the person disappears and you never see them again. It's great. You pop some popcorn. Good to go. <laughs> so like everybody has this book on their bookcase. But I wonder how many people actually do the exercises because when it came out, I don't know, when was that? 2001? So I was, I was like a senior in high school and I remember getting that book and I did the exact same thing. We didn't have YouTube, but I, I read it and I told myself I was going to do it and I didn't. I kind of imagined doing things and I assumed I knew things and, oh, I don't really need to do this meditation because I kind of get it. I've meditated, you know, I've meditated before. Let's just move on. But I did the book later formally as part of a class and I was held accountable for those exercises. So suddenly, like in my mid-30s, here I am looking at this material and, you know, it's labeled as a beginner book, but actually going through it the way the author intended, like, holy shit, it was actually really difficult. And I, I learned a lot. So that left me with the sentiment that I, I maintain pretty fervently now. Um, and I write about it in my new book. I think sometimes the difference between a beginner book and an advanced book or an intermediate book, it's not the text, it's your approach to it. The beginner reads the book, the advanced practitioner works the book. So I think, I think that's the difference. 
Yeah. You know, I, I like how you mentioned that because so I have uh, on my Patreon, we're going to be starting a book club and we're going to be reading Psychic Witch by Matt Aaron. I'm not totally sure. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I don't know if that's where he gets his name, but in my mind, that's where he gets his name. <laughs> well, so I've heard that there, I, I have the book. I haven't actually opened it up yet because we're not starting for another week or so, but I've heard that there are some exercises in it. And I'm really excited because I'm like, okay, we're doing this as a book club. Like we're going to do these exercises together and talk about it. But then on the other hand, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of held accountable because now I have to do them because I have to talk about what I'm, I'm actually doing. Because honestly, if I wasn't talking to other people about this, there's a pretty big chance I would just be like, okay, okay. Like I see what they mean. Like, yeah, I can understand what would happen from this. And then just like turn the page. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's what all of us do at at some level. Um, But definitely do the exercises, that book in particular. There's some really, really good shit in there. And I think that's another one of those books where if you just flip through it at Barnes & Noble, it's really easy to sit there and go, okay, it's just like psychic stuff, meditation, like astral bodies, whatever, whatever, like basic stuff, whatever, put it back. Like, no, dude, like sit there and check out the exercises and look how look how they they interlock and how they build on each other the the experience of wrestling with something intellectually is not the same thing as physically doing it especially in witchcraft Mm -hmm. Um, I i think a lot of us miss that Oh my gosh, that is so true. I mean, you can sit there and you can read a ritual or you can read how you're going to celebrate a Sabbath, but unless you're actually physically doing it, it's I mean, it's, it's literal night and day. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why that's why it's really not threatening when you know, as initiatory Wiccans, one of the things, and not just Wiccans, right, but initiatory, anybody who's part of any kind of oathbound whatnot, you know, there's always some scandal about information being leaked, right? Somebody publishes a book, something shows up on the internet. Gardnerians in particular, like, since since the advent of the internet, you'll see things like, oh, well, it's all online anyway. I remember very distinctly somebody telling me that when I was seeking. I mentioned I was seeking Gardnerian and this woman in this meetup just kind of rolled her eyes at me and she said like why would you why would you even bother it's all on the internet anyway and she just sort of sipped her coffee and was exasperated at my naivete <laughs> or whatever but the idea that you could get at the central mysteries of a tradition simply by reading its book of shadows is just naive i mean the experience of reading is not the same thing as doing and working the material, going through it in the context in which it was meant to be experienced is essentially different. So it's not threatening to me personally. Like if if some ritual that's sacred to me, you know, that maybe I wrote or it's in my tradition or whatever, if it shows up on the internet and people are just like, oh, I know what that Thorn Mooney's up to. Like, <laughs> no, you don't. Because what actually happens in my circle does not translate perfectly onto the page like that. And the experience of being there with those people in that space is necessarily different. Um, and I think people don't get that. And I th- I wonder if that's because of the religions that we come from where we're so text obsessed and witchcraft feels weird because it's more experiential. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point that there's so many things that are just unwritten that you can't put onto paper that you experience when you're in a circle or doing a ritual. And I mean, that's part of the whole mysteries, you know, like you can't explain, you can't write that shit down. (laughs) You you have to live it. You have to breathe it. You have to experience it firsthand. And, you know, by being an armchair witch, you're never going to get to that. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that (laughs) when I'm kind of like 
just being really lazy. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, if I want to experience some cool ass witchcraft, I can't just read about it. I have to do it myself. Yeah, I think I think sometimes our problem, too, isn't so much laziness, although, you know, that's a factor. Sometimes I'm there sometimes. (laughs) Um, I think it's sometimes that our expectations for ourselves are too high. I think they're unreasonable sometimes. Um, You know, if you if you expect yourself to always excel and to always like have a gorgeous altar and like do the full ritual for whatever the fuck the moon is doing that day or, you know, what have you, if that's your standard and you refuse to do things, if it doesn't measure up to that standard, then like, that's the real reason you're not doing stuff is because most of the time we don't have that kind of time. We have jobs and families and we're stressed out about stuff. And especially now, I think, sometimes our expectations for ourselves are unreasonable. It's the equivalent of somebody deciding that they're going to start a gym routine and they're going to start by going five times a week for an hour. Like that's, that's not a good, a good way to start, right? You, you start out by walking 10 minutes in your neighborhood. You start out going to the gym two or three times a week. Like you, you build up to things and witchcraft really isn't that different. So maybe it's not that you're lazy, but maybe like, What small things can we do to get ourselves off of our butts and actually doing something? Exactly. And I think, too, a lot of times people have an issue where they'll compare themselves to others, especially when you see all these things on Instagram with these beautiful altar setups and these beautiful ritual rooms and, you know, all this fancy witch aesthetic clothing. Now, I actually love the witch aesthetic. I love that I can, like, buy things that I like online very easily now. Oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) But... I think a lot of people, especially beginners, especially when they're first starting out, may be kind of discouraged by, oh, they have this beautiful altar. They have all these things. There could be a couple of different layers to this. Like one, like, oh, maybe they worry that they can't afford all the items so they won't be able to do a ritual. Or two, they worry that, oh, you know, my altar doesn't look like that. So like, it's never going to be the same. Like the, the, my experiences are going to be subpar compared to this person who obviously, you know, has their life together because they have a altar cloth and I don't, <laughs> you oh, know, totally. that, <laughs> that mentality of kind of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or even just like celebrity culture, kind of the way, the way, like we now have witch influencers, like that's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And It's interesting. I think this is something that we're all subject to because uh, particularly in the United States, but I mean, really everywhere at this point, thank you, globalization. um, We're all constantly being marketed to constantly. And I think sometimes we have this idea that religion and spirituality are neutral spaces or safe spaces or sacred spaces where marketing isn't a thing. But again, like that's just, that is just false. (laughs) Um, Instagram is there like, okay, we're connecting with our friends and family and like looking at cute cat videos, but ultimately Instagram is there to sell you things like that's just functionally what it is for. And it doesn't care whether that thing that it's selling you is jewelry or witchcraft supplies or whatever, like that's what it's for. And I think just being aware of that, I think we're all susceptible to things like imposter syndrome or comparison. I mean, I do it too. Like I get on Instagram and you know what? Like I don't, I think, I, I imagine a lot of folks will, will say this if they're honest. Like I don't want to look at super attractive people who are more together than I am. <laughs> like it fills me with resentment on some level. Like, you know, in between in between therapy sessions when I'm not like super in control of myself necessarily, like I have certain kinds of feelings about things like things like that. And that those things are designed to make us feel 
inadequate because usually they're trying to sell us something, whether it's better makeup or, you know, things for your altar or clothes or whatever. And I, I, I don't want to come out and like whole cloth say that the problem is the marketplace because I, I think the marketplace is actually really exciting. I'm with you. I like that I can buy magical stuff anywhere at this point. Like, I think that's really cool to see an aesthetic that I've loved for a really long time hit the mainstream. That makes my my life a lot easier in many ways. Um, even, you know, even when it gets annoying, like ultimately I think it's better for our communities that these things are out in the open. But I would say that, you know, you just have to kind of fix your feeds. Like we're all on social media to some extent. And I've tried to be really conscious of like which accounts are gen- genuinely inspiring and which just make me feel inadequate. And I try to unfollow or at least mute the accounts that just aren't encouraging and aren't inspiring. You know, I think if if things make us feel bad when we see them, like sometimes it's because that's what they're designed to do. Other times it's because we've got our own kind of inner work that we need to do. But, you know, we're, we can expose ourselves to that a little bit less sometimes. Everybody's on their own spiritual journey. You know, you, you can't and you shouldn't compare yourself to others. And this also goes for if you're in a coven too, um, especially if you're even in a training group, your journey is not going to look like the person who may become your coven brother or sister or who is your coven brother or sister. Everybody has their own way of progressing on this path. And I think sometimes it's, it's human nature to want to compare yourself to the person sitting next to you and see, you know, how are you doing? How can you stack yourself up? But it shouldn't be like that. And Sometimes I think especially beginners need to just remember that because it's hard to keep that in mind. Yeah, I, that's definitely, I think, one of the harder lessons about being in especially an, a structured coven, but maybe maybe groups broadly. I think I think a sense of competition is pretty natural and inevitable. I mean, we can tell ourselves all day long that our paths are our own. That's absolutely true. But it's really difficult not to look at the person next to you in circle and maybe envy them because things seem easier for them. You know, their lives are together or they don't have the same kinds of burdens. They have more resources, whatever. They didn't have to work as hard to get there. Like whatever the heck you tell yourself. And as a coven, like I experienced that when I was when I was in training myself and then experiencing it from the other end as a coven leader where I can see that kind of dynamic at work in the folks in my group and figuring out how to manage those things because I think sometimes we just want people to pretend that those feelings don't exist, but sometimes that just makes them fester. So I would say like at least acknowledging that they're, they're natural and, uh, you know, asserting too that you, you don't know what other people are up to. Like you really don't. And this is true for whether we're talking about other people in your coven or those influencers you're looking at on Instagram or watching somebody on YouTube or whatever, you know, the lives of pagan authors, whatever. We have visions for what other people's lives look like. Oh, that person is, you know, they're a professional witch, so their life must just be super magical. Just like, you know, witchcraft all the time. How beautiful. Look at all the tea they drink, whatever. Um, <laughs> but you don't know what other people's practice looks like. You don't know what people's lives look like. You only know what they show you. And I think keeping that perspective is really helpful. Gosh, you know, <laughs> I kind of have a funny story. It, it's funny that you you say this. I was just thinking about this yesterday about how you may think like, oh, this person, they have such a magical life They're They have their act together. Like their life is 
witchcraft and magic 24 seven. And I remember I was, uh, I just recorded another episode yesterday with a couple people and right before the episode, I had some time to kill. So I was in my kitchen, just on the floor, scrubbing my fridge. I was so gross. And my, my refrigerator, I had something leak in there. So I was cleaning it out. And then I had to hurry up because I needed to go and record an episode. And so I remember I was in the middle of hand deep with, you know, spray and Clorox wipes and everything. And I was like, you know, I'm going to have this episode come out. And I can only imagine what some people may think, you know, for example, what my life may be. And they have no idea that 15, 20 minutes before I recorded this, I was on the floor scrubbing my fridge because I had to do a normal human mundane task of keeping my apartment clean. (laughs) I was like, this is not magical at all. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think about um, being being both a, a high priestess of a coven and also being a pagan author, um, as as the high priestess or high priest of a group, as a coven leader, as an organizer, kind of whatever leadership role you're in, I think people have this idea that we just sort of swoop around and in robes with like flowing hair and dispense wisdom or something. But most of the time, what we're actually doing is vacuuming or like, you know, scrubbing toilets or dealing with people and their feelings or whatever. Like there's a lot of kind of logistical stuff and emotional stuff that just isn't sexy because nobody really wants to do it. And then being an author, you know, like it's awesome. I get to go to like a butt ton of festivals. I get to like, Llewellyn gives me books sometimes. Like people just give me stuff and I have witch resources like out the wazoo. And isn't that great? Like my 15 year old self is thrilled at my progress. But the stuff that doesn't make it into that discussion is like how much time I have to spend figuring out online marketing or writing proposals or figuring out how I'm going to manage my my mundane job with whatever obligations I have to meet whatever deadlines I have. Figuring out how to use whatever piece of technology in order to put some presentation together for COVID because I don't know how the internet works or something. Like there's there's a lot of practical stuff in there. Accounting, right? Like how do you manage taxes with something like Patreon or royalty checks or whatever? Because a lot of people just don't do it correctly. Like that's how they manage it is by pretending it doesn't happen. And all of that stuff, that's that's not sparkly or sexy. So we don't talk about it. Yeah, I definitely don't feel sexy when I'm scrubbing my toilet before my coven comes over. <laughs> it's just, you know, the epitome of witchcraft right there, having a clean bathroom. <laughs> it's important. People will thank you for it, though. Will they, though? Or will they just expect it to be clean? <laughs> mm-hmm. You do an experiment and don't clean it one time and see what happens. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I had uh, I had somebody tell me the other day, they were like, you should ask somebody in your coven to vacuum your living room for you next time they come over just to see what they say. And I was like, okay. So when they came over, I was like, hey, you want to vacuum my living room? And they were like, I will do it. it like, <laughs> they, they agreed to it, but they knew I was asking them because somebody else had told me to ask them. And I was like, this, this, is, this is dumb. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of logistics that go into witchcraft. And as much as it'd be so awesome if my life was 24-7 magic and freaking broom rides through the clouds, like, it's not. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think I think that the the mundane aspect of things is is important, too, though. Like, I, I'm, I'm musing out loud at you right now. Um, I'm really grateful to have a straight job. 
and have kind of a mundane life. My husband is an atheist. I I spend a lot of time thinking about lawn care. Like I <laughs> I really enjoy like managing my mutual funds. Like there's stuff about my life that is just like super mundane, like white bread, boring. You know, the, the parts that my parents are actually proud of. <laughs> um, and that stuff keeps me grounded, A. And B, it's nice that if I decide that I hate being a public witch, that's okay. I can stop. You know, like if I don't want to deal with scrutiny or pressure or whatever, I can still practice witchcraft and make it my own and have it be private and personal and enriching. Um, without needing to depend on money for it. I think maybe there's, I think there's a danger sometimes in in kind of American popular culture in particular, we're really obsessed with the idea of turning our passions into income. Like we don't think that anything is worth doing unless we can make it a side hustle. And I think that attitude is really toxic. Um, Not because there's anything inherently wrong with making money or making money as a witch. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that pressure that if you're not making money at something, it's not worth doing. And I think sometimes we go into witchcraft with that idea. And I love that whatever money I make on books or speaking or whatever, like, that's great. That helps. But I have this other life that I can go to. And, you know, I don't have to, it takes the pressure off where I don't have to produce content that I don't believe in just because I know it will sell. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, I, I do get grateful as well sometimes that I, I do have a normal job. I work as a researcher. At one point in my outer court, I, I was also working in academia. I was a TA in grad school for like an intro oh. to psychology class. That was interesting. Wow, that's a terrible <laughs> job. I did that. Uh, actually, fun funny story. Uh, my my a person in our outer court at the time was also attending that same college and knew somebody who was in my class. <laughs> I was That's teaching, really funny. and I was like, "Oh, oh my god!" Well, I don't think they ever found out our connection or anything like that. But uh, she swung by one day and was just like, "Oh, I know him," and I was like, "Oh, you do? Great." Oh, no, that's great. I, I got one for you, too. So I, I worked at a, a university. I, I did graduate work, um, and then I stayed on as a lecturer. Um, and obviously, like, I did TAing and stuff, too, before I before I finished. And one of my initiates I met because she was the faculty advisor of another club I just wandered into because I was curious. Oh, and no. then <laughs> later on, when she was initiated, this is a couple years later, we discovered that another initiate in my coven was actually one of her former students from like 10 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. So oh like, my God. imagine if you will, being an established professor with a lengthy career at a university, being initiated by, I guess, sort of a colleague in a different department, and then finding yourself one day in coven standing next to a former student. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So like, you don't, you don't know who's out there seeking, man. (laughs) You know, I I have to say I've had a couple of dreams like that before where I'll go to a coven or I'll go to some like witch public festival or something. And I'll run into people that I would never expect. They're like old bosses, old professors, like people of authority in my life. And I'm just like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I luckily haven't actually had that experience happen to me yet. The closest I got was um, my now coven sister knowing one of my students. But 
you know what? If it comes, I've had enough dreams, I guess, to prepare myself for it. <laughs> I think it's kind of fun. You never know what people are into. And I think it's just a lesson, too, in not stereotyping folks. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention about how it being a, a mundane life and a mundane job, you know, as, you know, a grounded part of yourself is I also appreciate that when I do code a circle or I'm part of a ritual or I'm hanging out with my witch friends or talking to them, it makes it that much more special because when I'm spending eight plus hours a day, especially working from home now, just constantly video chatting with my colleagues about COVID and research things and all these things that I work on, you know, when I get that time, when I can finally talk to the people in the community, I'm like, Oh, like it's it just, it's nice. It's nice being able to have that break. And it, it, it makes it that much more special. Yeah, it's cool. I, I think, you know, the, the word sacred itself means set apart. And I think like, I remember reading witchcraft books for the first time and there was this emphasis everywhere that like everything is sacred. The divine is everywhere, blah, blah, blah. Everything's sacred. And okay. Yeah. On one level, but like necessarily by definition, if everything is sacred, then nothing is. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that really hits me sometimes. Um, it's nice when you're religious life your magical life is something like sometimes we do need an escape hatch you know like on the one hand we're not supposed to think of our craft as something that you know we escape to but sometimes that's what we need and that's okay yeah that's definitely fine you know i it's so nice when i do get to see my my coven and my hp and hps and spend that time with them because i don't i'm not lucky in the sense that they live close to me that we can just you know hop in a, a car live you know 15, 20 minute ride and go visit each other. They live a couple hours away. So it, it just makes it that much more special. Yeah. My experience was similar. Yeah. It's on, you know, I would love to have them just down the street, but <laughs> it's not how the world works, unfortunately. I don't know. I think, I think that there's something valuable too in having that distance, especially, um, I don't know. Like, I think, I think it fosters a sense of autonomy and power too. Um, one of the things that seekers and beginners, you know, not not in any particular tradition, but I think just in witchcraft broadly, I think there's a tendency to rely really heavily on other people to validate us. And that means something really different in a traditional context. Like, obviously, if you have a mentor, or a high priestess, somebody who's training you, that's one thing. Um, but I think a lot of us come in really anxious for other people to kind of do things for us sometimes and sometimes some distance and some space is good for making sure that that doesn't happen <laughs> that's very true <laughs> uh, so I, I we talked a bit about witchcraft in the online community so I I'm you know I've only been out with this podcast about a little over a year now um, I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube and I'm on Twitter occasionally but I know you have a lot more experience especially in YouTube and Discord and I want to ask have you seen a difference in the community over the years? Yes, I maintain that there's there's no such thing as a singular witchcraft community. I think for a long time we were accustomed to speaking about particularly the pagan community. Um, and what I've found is that the internet and festival communities or meat space communities are very different places. Um, and they have different demographics and they're concerned about different things. I think they have different political leanings. Um, they have different taboos, different concerns. Um, and I think sometimes 
we pretend that those differences don't exist, um, which is why we get things like, you know, well, what are these TikTok kids up to with hexing the moon or whatever? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, we have echo chambers. A good example is Pathios Pagan. So I, I write for Pathios, not quite as much as I used to, um, but I've still got a blog there. And I found that it's a particular kind of person who reads Pathios. They are white, they are middle-aged, they are middle-class, and that's who reads Pathios. It's kind of like the NPR of the pagan community. And there's some really wonderful stuff on Pathios, but you know who isn't reading it? TikTokers. <laughs> right? And I'm not saying that they necessarily should, but it does mean that all of your great ideas that you're posting on Pathios aren't trickling down or trickling up or whatever direction you want um, to other communities. So when you log into a different platform, you see very different kinds of witches. I think it's really interesting. And I don't think this is a problem. I think that we have a lot of variation in our spaces. And I think for the most part, that should be celebrated. Um, it gets tricky, though, when we talk about singular communities or singular ideas. Oh, well, witches believe this. One thing, an example of that is the idea that witchcraft is necessarily about political liberalism. So there's this idea that's everywhere right now that witchcraft is inherently political. And I think that that's true. But the other side of that is that <laughs> that it doesn't mean that it's the same kind of politics that you yourself adhere to. Uh, so here in the South, like folks generally are of a different political persuasion. And guess what? A lot of them are still witches. So when those communities come together, often online, there's this kind of disbelief and disconnect that happens with those two groups where one doesn't acknowledge the other. And it becomes kind of this true Scotsman debate, right? Well, you're not, you clearly you're just not a real witch. And I see the same thing happening across platforms with boomers and millennials and what do they call them now gen z um yeah zoomers <laughs> zoomers yes um there are some really significant differences in these spaces they read different books they look up to different people it's it's really interesting yeah i know the hot topic right now has definitely been the tiktok witches hexing the moon that that's been an interesting theme to be reading about this uh, last couple weeks yeah they're fine. Yeah, I've, I'm not very concerned about it. No. <laughs> I, I did I did make a post about it, how I was like, listen, guys, I'm pretty sure this is a rumor. I'm not worried about it. Don't freak out. And somebody commented like on something of mine saying, oh, well, you know, ever since they did that, I haven't been able to see the moon recently. And I had to comment back and be like, well, the new moon's in like a day. So that's probably why you haven't seen the moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> God, yeah. Um, anybody listening, I'm personally not worried about the TikTok, which is hexing the moon. I mean, I just think it's a rumor, but, you know, but it, it's a good point that there are definitely different communities. And, you know, I never actually kind of made that connection. Uh, and it's true. The people who are on TikTok or Instagram, they're not necessarily reading the Pathios blog. Oh, yeah. Well, and think about um, authors and influencers, too. So, like, who offhand, like thinking about kind of some of the bigger pagan festivals in the country, like Mystic South, Pantheacon, when it still existed, um, Paganicon, like some of these other events that have been around for a long time, folks who've been on the circuit for a long time. You know, you could probably name a half dozen favorite authors. They probably write for Wiser or Llewellyn, and you can pretty much expect to see them on the bills of these festivals. But if you get on Instagram and you look at what books are trending, they're from people who a lot of us haven't heard of. So, and a lot of those folks, they're not going to festivals. Some of the most popular Instagram accounts 
are folks who they're not writing books at all. They're YouTube personalities or they're Instagram personalities. And they're the ones who incoming teen witches are looking to in the same way that my generation looked to Scott Cunningham and Silver Ravenwolf. And that's going to necessarily churn out a different kind of witchcraft. And I think that's really great. But it is something that I think we need to pay attention to because it says something about how inclusive we are and where our movement is going. Yeah, that's definitely something to keep out, keep a lookout out on the horizon as, you know, witchcraft progresses throughout the times. And especially now, you know, I feel like it's blowing up. I feel like almost everybody, when they first start out saying, oh, all of a sudden everybody's getting involved in witchcraft. But I mean, I can go to Walmart and buy a kimono with a triple moon on the back. <laughs> like, I feel like that's saying something now. You didn't used to be able to do that back in the day, unless it was Halloween. And even then, that that was pushing it. Yeah, there's definitely definitely good and bad that goes along with that. I think I think sometimes we feel like our traditions are being commodified. On the other hand, they're also becoming more accessible. I mean, maybe the reason the stuff is everywhere is because people actually need it because we're living in a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So I want to change gears one or right now and talk about probably will be our last topic of the of the episode about gatekeeping. (laughs) So we'll just those people out. Yeah, we'll just we'll just end this really strong with the topic of gatekeeping. So for those who don't know what, what that is exactly, it's this idea that people aren't allowed into certain spaces. It's especially talked about with initiatory traditions such as Garnerian Alexandrian and which is maybe called gatekeepers. And it is definitely a topic <laughs> that comes up a, a lot in the witchcraft community. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, when, when I was a teenager exploring particularly online witchcraft spaces, the thing that you really didn't want to be called was a fluffy bunny. That's what floated around. Like that was, if you wanted to insult somebody, you called them a fluffy bunny. And that meant that they weren't serious and they were an idiot or something. But now you really don't want to be called a gatekeeper. Like if you hang out on... Instagram and TikTok, that's the term that gets flung to insult people. And it means basically elitist, like you're withholding something from people. And there's this idea that, oh, well, spirituality is for everybody. It should be free. Like there's some folks who think that even just charging for books, right, is kind of a violation of this idea. Like if people can't afford certain resources, that there's something inherently wrong with with the community as a result of that. It's an interesting idea, and I think that it's it's born from a good place um, because I, I agree that witchcraft is a thing that should be available to everybody who needs it. I think that it it speaks to people at different points in their lives, and it meets real needs. On the other hand, I do think that there's some there's some knowledge out there or some experiences out there. It's not that other folks aren't good enough to have it. It's that without the context of earning it, it just doesn't make sense. So when I when I deny somebody a piece of information, there's a couple of things that might be going on. You know, one, it might be that it just belongs to me alone. I mean, I don't get online. One thing, so I'm on Instagram at Thorn the Witch and I post a lot of photos of of altars and my bookshelf and rooms or whatever. But one thing I never do is actually post working altars. I will not post actual spells. I will not post actual rituals. Things are kind of modified so that they they look like they could be real and they could be real, okay? But they're not because to me, that's a boundary I'm not willing to cross. I don't post that stuff for the same reason that I don't talk about, you know, my my marriage or my sex life or whatever. Like that stuff is mine. And I think that's a boundary. That's a kind of gatekeeping. And I think that's a healthy one. 
the other the other boundary the other the other reason i might withhold something is because it is experiential and this is where like oathbound information comes in i can't i can't give away a mystery on the internet i can't do it over coffee at a festival like it's a thing that has to be shown to somebody sometimes over time and it's not even really my choice whether or not i'm gatekeeping the thing it's the difference between reading about what sex is like versus actually having it right like that's kind of the best analogy i have at this point there those are different things so whether or not we want to call that gatekeeping i think it's just a reality and maybe it'd be better to figure out how to how to make things accessible instead of just complaining that there's a boundary in place i i think the term gatekeeping in my experience of how i've seen it used as well is people will use it when they don't get something that they want. So they'll call somebody a gatekeeper as a derogatory term. I've unfortunately had that happen to me. I met up with somebody who knew I was involved in a coven. And when I wouldn't give them information that they wanted to know about the coven, they called me a gatekeeper and stormed out, you know, and that's just a classic example of, well, they were upset that I wouldn't give them what they want to know because it wasn't their business. <laughs> and they were like, well, let me just throw this term at you and insult you and say that you're this person because you're not giving me what... I guess they felt that they deserved. Um, and yeah. it happens. And I, I, I see sometimes too, people will call it different traditions um, as people within it as gatekeepers, because maybe they had a bad experience with a coven they may have been training with or whatever. And I think it can kind of tie back to if something happens that you're training for a coven and it doesn't work out and you may want to just you know, write them off, call them gatekeepers, say that they're keeping you for this. One thing to keep in mind is you might not actually just be the right fit for that coven. And that happens. And I don't think that you should completely swear off an entire tradition just because you had a bad experience with one group. There are oh, yeah. plenty of other covens out there to talk to. I think people miss, they're not aware that covens, even within a single tradition, are autonomous. So the Gardnerian coven that I run is not like the Gardnerian coven that operates two hours away or in the next state or in California or New England or whatever. We're different people. And yeah, we share core ideas and core pieces of liturgy, but we're different people performing those and we have different personalities. In my mind, it'd be the equivalent of like having a bad date and then deciding that you were never going to date again because clearly dating is the problem. Like that's just, that's not an awesome that's not the attitude that's going to get you what you want in the end and i'm not saying that you need to submit yourself to problematic behavior or abuse or whatever um but if you have an experience in a coven if it doesn't meet your expectations if you just don't jive with the people if your high priest is a dick like whatever experience you might have it doesn't mean that you are not suited for the tradition itself a and it also doesn't mean that the tradition itself is the problem um, Gardnerian craft especially is like constantly on dartboards because somebody somewhere had a bad experience. They weren't initiated in the 80s when they wanted to be or whatever. And like now all Gardnerians are the worst people in the world. And like that's that's just not I, I like I don't I don't even have a word for that that isn't dismissive. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's true. Like it, it's completely true. Gardnery gets such a bad rep because people think like, oh, we're secretive and we're being dicks about it. <laughs> we're, we're being elitist. But it, it's it, it's just this term gets thrown around so much. And I, I see it in a derogatory way. And it's usually by people who are just upset that they're not getting what they think that they deserve. But they may have not even put in the effort to begin to even be able to get that answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, 
it's a mix. Like there, there are definitely some crappy gardenarians out in the world. You know what I mean? Like there are, <laughs> there are definitely there there's elitism is absolutely a thing that exists and it's a thing that sucks when you encounter it. Um, but privacy and elitism are not the same thing. No, they're not. Hooray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now that, uh, we may have unintentionally scared some people off. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I think it's a, a good topic to end with. And, um, you know, just because somebody's keeping a secret doesn't mean they're a gatekeeper. There's probably a reason for why they are keeping things off to the side until perhaps you're ready for them. Yes. All right. Well, cool. So Thorne, do you have any final words or anything you'd want to add about any topics we talked about today? Um, I'd just like to generally encourage people to explore widely and re- read widely and, you know, like don't get too invested in, in anybody's personalities or you know, like cast a wide net and try. And sometimes it's hard and that's okay. Cause life is just hard. <laughs> there you go. There, there you go. Um, so you kind of just answer this. So if you don't have an answer for this, that's fine. But I usually ask people at the end, like what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who is completely brand new, just starting out may have not even picked up Scott Cunningham. Oh, do you have any advice that you would give to somebody in a position like that? Yeah, totally. Go do something right now. Go do a spell. Go do a ritual. Go pray to something. Like, go do whatever the weird thing is that you're curious about. I think getting over that initial hurdle of doing it wrong is one of the hardest things. And in my mind, the best way to do that is to just go do something wrong right now. Like, that'll give you a starting (laughs) point. It makes it less scary. You'll have already done your first ritual, your first spell, or whatever. Like, get the book on your shelf, turn to the thing that looks interesting. You know, like there's a lot of folks out there who would tell you like about all the horrible things that can happen to you. But like having worked with teenagers for many years, having run covens for many years, like nobody's really that powerful to hurt themselves. Like, I'm sorry. Like most people are just blowing smoke up your butt about like how powerful they are when they caution you about like demons and blowing your face off. You're going to be fine. Probably nothing's going to happen. Go do a thing. And you know what? Sometimes people just need that motivation to get up and do something. So you're hearing it right now. Thorne's saying it. And I'm going to back her up. Do it right now. Whatever it is. Go get that book yeah. and do it. <laughs> go do it. Go run outside and howl at the moon. Right which now. Might not, which might not be there because of TikTok. Oh, yeah, definitely. TikTok witches are the ones to blame for that. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Thorne, so much for coming on. How can people reach you if they want to check out your social pages? The best way, probably the fastest way, is to find me on Instagram at Thorn the Witch. Just one word, Thorn the Witch. Thorn does not have an E. I'm not that cool. It's just the word Thorn. And my Instagram bio has links to all of my other junk. Awesome. And then you also have a Discord and Patreon page as well, right? I do. I have a Patreon. Um, it is sliding scale. So all content is available at all tiers. So you can get all of my ramblings and extra videos and even some of my bad YA witch fiction, which I'm actually kind of proud of for a dollar, which is great. Nice. Um, And there's a discord server that goes along with that. That's really fun. All right. And then uh, for anybody listening, you guys can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. On Facebook, I'm Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. On Twitter, I'm at Seek Witchcraft. Instagram is Seeking Witchcraft. Or I also have a Patreon. It's just Seeking Witchcraft. (laughs) Or um, 
Yeah. And speaking of patrons, I just want to give a shout out to the Witchling Neophyte and Seekers group. You guys are awesome. And we're for real so close to being able to get an actual mic. I'm so excited. It's going to happen. I also want to give a personal shout out to Michaela. She is a dedicant level tier on my Patreon. So thank you so much, Michaela, for your support. It really does mean the world. And I really, truly appreciate it. And we're going to start our book club like within the next week or two. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Enjoy Psychic Witch. Oh yeah, I'm I'm really excited. The books look the book. First of all, I love the cover, and like I'm really excited that there's exercises in it because it's going to give me something to talk about <laughs> instead of just yeah. like, hey, what did you think of this chapter? It's going to be like, oh, what it what happened when you did X, Y, and Z? Yeah, Matt knows what he's talking about. It's a good book. All right, well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.